0: Good morning and welcome back to another Running Tales podcast where we attempt to tell the extraordinary stories of everyday runners. I'm Craig Lewis and with my wife Michelle, we've spoken to a host of runners from those using part run for weight loss or to combat mental health issues to Olympians and running coaches. If you want to learn more about what we do, you can find us on social media on Twitter at Running Tales Pod. On Instagram at the same handle, on Facebook as Running Tales, or you can check out our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash at runningtalespod, where the at is the at sign rather than spelt out. We've also just started a Substack newsletter, so please check that out at runningtails.substack.com. Anyway, enough of all that, on with the important stuff. This week's guest is Tony Collier. Despite starting the sport later in life, Tony swiftly became a strong runner, not only clocking sub-20-minute part runs, but also completing a host of marathons and the 55-mile Comrades Ultra. But it was while preparing to do the back-to-back Comrades when he received the shocking news that he had incurable prostate cancer. That was more than five years ago, and Tony hasn't stopped running while also becoming an ambassador raising awareness of prostate cancer, something which has gained him recent recognition.
1: It was the Northwest uh, Cancer Awards and I won the award for the champion awareness raiser. Since I was diagnosed with advanced stage prostate cancer five and a half years ago, I decided to take it upon myself to make sure as few men as possible end up like me. So I'm a Prostate Cancer UK awareness speaker. I do lots of awareness talks. I've done lots of running, uh, running club talks. Actually, I talk about my, my running history and how running led to my diagnosis. So that was the basis of the award last night. It was a real thrill, um, a nice posh black tie event and uh, nice to walk away with a trophy.
2: Yeah, that was a uh, fantastic, really good to, to, to see you get that. And, um, uh, I think it, it, it speaks to all the the sort of work that you do and everything that you've you've achieved. I know that run, running has really been sort of central to to your journey, hasn't it? Um, how did you sort of first get into into running?
1: It's interesting. I started running when I was forty five because of a health issue, uh, which is a little bit ironic given where I currently am. Uh, I had a I was sent for a medical by the firm I work for, and they said I was borderline clinically obese and my blood pressure was so high that I'd be on drugs the rest of my life if I didn't do something about it. And I thought I was really fit because I used to play table tennis just below county standard three times a week and a bit of social squash. So obviously I wasn't fit enough. So the place where I played squash had a little informal running club. And I thought, well, I'll see if I can keep up with them. And I turned up and ran with them a couple of times and it grew from there. And about two years later, I was one of the founder members of Style Running Club, uh, where I am now the coach and development officer.
0: Did you sort of enjoy running straight away?
1: Uh, I'm not sure I really enjoyed it. I I actually thought 10k was a nice distance. It was far enough. And I swore I would never, ever run a marathon. And then, you know, God, what happened after that? <laughs> we always get, get stuck in
2: that. We always start saying it's 5k's and 10k's. And then suddenly, yeah. before we know it as runners, we're doing all these strange events and amazing distances
1: absolutely absolutely for you
2: how, how far did your running journey progress at, at, at that stage because I know you, you've, you've done an awful lot since the diagnosis but I think you did quite a lot of running beforehand as well didn't you
1: yeah I started running when I was 45 and I started running probably to a reasonably high level in my, level in my late 40s and I ran my first marathon when I was 50 and it was the Amsterdam marathon 2007 and eight of our club members decided that now we were a proper running club, we should all have a marathon on our CV. So eight of us entered the Amsterdam Marathon and one by one, seven of them dropped out down to the half marathon, leaving Billy Mate's running the marathon on his, <laughs> on his jack. Uh, charming. And so that was my first marathon. And I have to say, I ran it like a complete scaredy cat. I was terrified of the distance. But actually, when I I sort of sat back and reflected, I said never again immediately afterwards, like we all do. But I ran 337, which as a 50-year-old who'd only ever done one marathon I thought was pretty reasonable. And so it sort of started from there. And then my next marathon was Chicago, which was unknowingly to me was the first of my world marathon majors. But it was my friend's last of his five marathon majors at the time. And his wife bought him um, a certificate of his world majors of feats um and had it framed with all these medals and i was just completely utterly envious of it and so i set out to try to achieve what he'd achieved and then by the time i got to achieving the world marathon majors uh, completion that added tokyo which made it about 15 grand more expensive
2: <laughs> yeah and quite a a, a tripper there for, for those who, who kind of don't don't know um do you want to just quickly say what what that is in terms of the uh the, the majors i think most runners do but in case yeah. they don't
1: six world marathon majors uh, chicago new york and boston uh, tokyo london and berlin and easily my favorite of them all was boston which i think is just such an incredibly iconic race london is easily the best for crowd support berlin is easily the most boring <laughs> but <laughs> it is incredibly flat and very fast
2: the fast one as we um, keep seeing with Mr Kipchoge
1: absolutely yeah blasting around and then uh, Tokyo is exactly what you'd expect of Japan very exotic um, very very unusual marathon but um, very adorable and you run around lots of amazing sites. and I went on to run I averaged 327 for the world majors and had a best of 324 at Boston actually qualifying for Boston whilst running Boston and you know it, it, it was such a fantastic achievement. I went on to do nineteen marathons before my diagnosis, and I had a best of three twenty three. When it, so all those all those were in my mid fifties. So I got to a reasonably high standard for you know someone in mid fifties. I was never going to be elite. I knew I was never elite, but I wasn't bad.
2: Yeah, I mean those are some some pretty good times to be honest, especially with with, with without being rude about it. The sort of post you know after forty five into into your fifties to be to be clocking three three twenties and even to Qualify for Boston is 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 uh you're getting some pretty good times there. Was was that something that came to you naturally?
1: I, I found that I was actually quite a good endurance runner. I think it's probably because I had such a high pain threshold. And I think you know to the best runs I think are the ones who can actually run when it gets really really tough. And um, I just found I had a really high pain threshold, and so I could actually overcome feeling completely shot. Um, and you know, you get to the 20 mile mark and the second race of a marathon starts. And I just found out I was actually, you know, really strong as an endurance runner.
2: Oh, you definitely have to teach me that one, Tony, because that, that last uh, that 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 last 10k
1: is always horrible for me. I, I used mental imagery and my mental imagery was a 10k that I've done locally, which not my club did a 10k route most most weeks. And I just thought of myself, you know, all you've got to do is run to the toilets and back. And that was it, you know. And now I'm halfway to the toilets. Now I'm at the toilets. Now I'm halfway back. And then I'm done. And so I just completely visualised the last 10K for me. It was the way I could deal with it and I'd stop worrying about the pain. I did have some marathons where it was awful. You know, I mean, I'm sure we all we all have. Yeah. But generally, if I was running well, I was running very well. And I uh, I got quite good at it.
2: And I think you, you went beyond just the normal 26.2 and uh, went over to South Africa <laughs> and did a, did a certain race over there.
1: Yeah, that was that was that became a bucket list item. And it, it, it's a really interesting story because I met a little old lady on a walking holiday in the Italian Dolomites, And it turned out that she was a runner and I got chatting to her about her running life. And she said she'd started running when she was 59 and when she was just over 60, she was like British national champion at all distances. And she's a real latecomer to running. So I said to her, what's your favourite race? And she said, comrades. And I'd never even heard of comrades. So she explained to me about this race that was to commemorate the fallen heroes of the First World War. Um, and it was in South Africa and it was 56 miles and it was six and a half thousand feet of climbing in the up year from Durban to Peter Maritzburg. And it was always 28 degrees or 30 degrees. And I thought, it's a really good idea to do that. <laughs> yes, you do? So I it became a massive bucket list item for me. And I entered in 2015. Uh, Unfortunately I picked up an IT band injury on both knees about six weeks before the race and I knew I wasn't going to finish but I desperately wanted to start. I was doing it for a charity, children's charity, so I had to start and I got to about 20 miles and had to pull out in agony. I went back in 2016 to have another go and completed it in nine hours 46 which was two back-to-back four and a half hour marathons and the slowest crawl through the streets of Durban for the last 5k imaginable. (laughs) Uh, And it finished in the Kingsmead Cricket Stadium and it was just unbelievable. And then I decided, if you do one year, it runs from Durban to Peter Maritzburg, that's the up year, the following year is the down year. So you run from Peter Maritzburg to Durban. And if you do a back-to-back up up or down or down or up, you get a special back-to-back medal. And I thought, i would go back and do it again in 2017. I'd be 60 by the time that, that was taking place. And that's when disaster hit. Started training that year, and yeah, yeah, and and just
2: to go through that 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 story. Obviously, you know, what we're talking about disasters. We're talking about your your diagnosis. But how did that come about? And and also, because I know this is one of the the biggest things for you, in terms of warning signs or or people not ignoring little niggles and things like that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, in the February, I was running the Anglesey half marathon, which starts on a really steep downhill. And as I planted my right foot to the ground, I got a searing pain through my groin. And this got progressively worse. But being a runner with a high pain threshold, as I've just explained, you carry on running through it, don't you? Take a few painkillers and because we're idiots, basically. <laughs> and so I carried on taking a few painkillers. In the April, I ran the Paris and Manchester marathons a week apart. I was training runs for comrades, did them in just under three hours, 50, taking it reasonably steadily. And then when I got back from doing both those, I actually couldn't get my right leg out of the car when I was trying to get out of the car. It was just screamingly painful. So I made an appointment to see a sports injuries doctor on the 8th of May and with a pre-arranged MRI scan. He saw the scan and said something that we weren't expecting to see. I want to rule out anything untoward. So I need to have a blood blood test and a chest X-ray now. And tomorrow I'm sending you for a CT scan. So you can imagine that evening, Monday the 8th of May, was terrifying. I, you know, cancer never crossed my mind. But then he phoned me up on um, the Tuesday evening, just as I was leaving running club, um, and told me that it was 99% certain I'd got prostate cancer. I then had to drive home to tell my wife, and I was in flood of tears all the way, because as far as I was concerned, it was a death sentence. And it was the most awful, awful period of my life. I can't tell you how horrendous it was. You know, I was a southerly athlete training for an ultramarathon. And suddenly I was told I've got prostate cancer. Anyway, we had 10 days of further diagnostic tests and it was confirmed. It was advanced stage prostate cancer. The groin strain was actually stress fractures of the pelvis where the cancer had broken into the bones. And it turned out that the cancer at diagnosis was in my pelvis, hips, ribs, spine, neck and skull. So everything from pelvis to skull, every bone had a tumor in it. And the day I should have flown to South Africa was the first day I met my oncologist. And my first question to him wasn't how long I've got left to live. It was, can I still run? (laughs) And, And the answer was wonderful because he said, yes, you must, because the side effects of the treatment we're going to put you on will lead to loss of muscle mass and loss of bone density and weight gain. And if you don't exercise, it's going to be really bad for you and make all those things worse. So that was basically um the big shock and it's etched on my brain and will be forever.
2: Because um I mean, you've, you've sort of hinted very strongly at it there, but just to sort of absolutely spell this out for, for listeners, this this was a a, a diagnosis which was a fit, you know, it's a terminal cancer, isn't it, that you've got. Did they put a time limit on it um at the time? Yeah. It's been five years, isn't it? So
1: yeah, five and a half years now. And I was actually diagnosed three months before Bill Turnbull, who died about two two months ago. Uh, And I was originally told um, I may only have two years to live. I've been one of the lucky ones that I've been able to respond to the treatment really well that I've been on. The treatment effectively, and this this will shock a lot of the male listeners, uh, is chemical castration. um, Because uh, prostate cancer feeds on testosterone. So they remove your testosterone, which basically turns you into menopausal woman. And I'm actually much more sympathetic with menopausal women than I ever ever was before. But then you you lose muscle mass, you lose bone density, you gain weight, and all those things are horrendous for a runner. And when my oncologist said, you know, yeah, you carry on running, you must carry on running, but you'll be a lot slower. You won't be able to go as far. And he was absolutely right. You know, all my times fell fell off the cliff. But
2: despite that... You, you did carry on running and it wasn't uh, straight down to saying oh i've got these issues i'm just going to maybe jog around a, a a park run or something you you continued to do some really long distances and some even even longer distances i think than you did before
1: yeah i qualified i actually qualified for the london marathon with a good for age time for an over 60 just before i was diagnosed and i thought you know shall i shall i take it on or shall i not and the harsh reality was that the training was really tough. I decided I would have a go. Uh, I knew it was gonna be awful and it was, uh, but the training was tough because one of the big side effects is fatigue. And I'd go out for a training run thinking I was gonna run 12 miles or 14 miles or whatever. And after two miles, I'd realized that this wall of fatigue was so horrible. I'd literally, I'd, I'd, I'd stop, turn around, walk back to base and I'd be in floods of tears because cancer had robbed me of something that I loved and I enjoyed. And it took me a long time to get away from that, but I did a London Marathon. I did a personal worst of five hours and seven. I I, I raised thirteen thousand pounds for Prostate Cancer UK, and then I have got on to do a few other things as well.
2: Yeah, um, I, I mean, first of all, that's that's an incredible amount of money to 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 raise. I mean, in some ways, were you you, you call it a personal worst in terms of times, but were you more proud of that marathon than you were perhaps of some of the ones previously?
1: i think it, i would say it's the it's the marathon that i'm actually the most proud of because it was in complete adversity mm. it was the hottest london marathon on record and one of the side effects one of the other side effects is hot flushes and hot sweats so having a hot flush and a hot sweat when it's 30 degrees when you're doing london marathon was not ideal yeah so yeah i'm very very proud of that and the following year i decided i have decided i need to challenge <laughs> something to motivate me to actually keep me go- keep me going keep me running and The following year, I decided I was going to try and run 970 miles in the year. Um, Now, in the old days, that was a piece of cake because I was doing 16, 1700 miles. But in the new world, it was really tough. And I can hear your your mind worrying, thinking, why 970 and not a thousand? So, the 970 was the number of men that died every month of prostate cancer in the UK um, during that year. And I wanted to run one mile to commemorate each of those men. And by the end of the year, that had risen to a 1,000, so very scary. So that was my next challenge. And I think one other thing I should just say was when I was diagnosed, my wife asked the urologist, how long do you think Tony's had this prostate cancer growing? And he said, probably 10 years. So all my marathon career, my ultra marathon career, was with prostate cancer growing inside me, and I'd had no symptoms whatsoever.
0: And would there have been any way... I
2: mean i guess short of having i don't know a blood test or something during that 10 years of of them being able to give you an earlier diagnosis which uh, may or may not have, have led to a, a better prognosis in the end
1: yeah absolutely the um one of the things i do in my awareness talks is talk about getting tested early and men over i i was appalled when i found out that i had a right to a, a psa blood test from the age 50 men over 50 have a right to this psa test it is the only way we can start the diagnostic process. And if I'd had a PSA test every year from 50 to 60, my cancer would have been caught early and it would have been cured. So prostate cancer caught early is completely curable. Uh, they, they treat it with curative intent. Unfortunately, once you diagnose stage four, like me, there's no cure. All they're going to do is give you palliative care to keep you going, basically
0: hmm
2: so definite message for people there if you are i mean i'm 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 45 so obviously wouldn't quite be uh eligible for it yet but i have to say i've I've never heard of that at all previous to this conversation just now um so i guess uh you know first of all a really big message for, for for people over 50 to make sure they get or men over 50 to make sure they go and get that that test and and then also i suppose my my next thought is is how how well publicized that is by by the NHS, by doctors and whether there needs to be Im- improvement in in that process.
1: Yeah, I mean it, it, it isn't re- it isn't really publicized at all because um, at the moment they won't screen with the PSA test because it isn't accurate enough as a diagnostic test. But the words I used before were it's the start of the process. and historically the next part of the process was a transrectal biopsy which actually could lead to uh, sepsis and death. So right. they didn't like doing a PSA test because of that, but the, the diagnostic pathway has changed and now we're in a situation where we don't do transrectal biopsies anymore. And so it makes the PSA test much more viable. What, what GP should do is talk to a man about the pros and cons. Of course, the worst con is someone like me who faces a premature, slow and painful death effectively because that's the harsh reality. Um, whereas um, early diagnosis equals curative um, intent and you know people you know in most cases get back to leading a virtually normal life after they've had treatment for early stage prostate cancer
2: mm.
1: so, so certainly something you'd be, you'd be campaigning for I suppose. Well that's what I won the award for last night for being a campaigner for awareness yeah. yeah. Um, I should also say that if you've got a family history you should get tested from 45 and if you're a black man you should get tested from 45 because the risk for black men is double the risk than for white men and if you've got a family history, you're two and a half times at greater risk because of the family history.
2: So just going back to back to the running, you you, you I'm, I'm guessing you made it uh, and hit that that 970 target.
1: Did you find that a lot harder than than previously? I found it incredibly tough at the time because I was really suffering with the side effects of the treatment. The, those side effects have abated a little bit since, so I don't get the hot sweats and hot flushes as much as I did fatigue is still a big problem i battle fatigue every every single day of my life so no it was a big it was a big battle to get to 970 miles i did it with about two weeks to spare and so i, I, I got there eventually and then i think having done that and that, that raised a load of money for charity as well which was great i decided i needed another chance the following year so <laughs> and that's kept me going as well so the following year i decided i was going to try and run race to the castle which is a 100 kilometer ultra marathon over two days um i couldn't do over one day and I say run because on the first day it was probably about 50-50 and on the second day it was zero running apart from the sprint finish. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but, but, I, but I finished it and, you know, and that, again, raised a load of money for, I think I raised it for McMillan and Prostate Cancer that year. So. And for people who don't know, where where's that event take place? Well, it's actually, it's, it it was a one-off by the sounds of it because it was it was, um, was raced right, right to the castle, finished at to Bamba Castle up in the northeast. And it started out in the moors, in the Northampton moors, uh, sorry, the Northumbrian moors, uh, ran through the Forestry Commission, out to the coast and all the way up the coast of Bamburgh Castle. But the organisers who run Race to the Stones, Race to the Kings, have said that they can't run it again. Um, they, they have major problems with the forest there in the big storms we had earlier in the year and most of the forest was destroyed and so I've uh, still not been able to open the route up and apparently it looks like it was a, a one-off one and only so uh, what a swan song to my ultra marathon yeah. you know, the one and only race to the castle oh
2: it sounds like oh, it's a real shame actually because it sounds like that would be uh, a really sort of picturesque and enjoyable if probably very tough route to do
1: well, actually, the first the first day was mainly through the forest and through the moors, and it was it was it was challenging. It was quite tough. The second day was basically all the way up the Northumbrian coast, and it was a glorious sunny day, and not and not mad hot, but it was warm, you know. But the the coastline is stunningly beautiful, and you finish at Bamburgh Castle, which of course is just unique. And so it was it was a monumental race. I ran it with a friend who uh, I'm a patient representative in Greater Manchester for a. Um, an initiative called Prehab for Cancer, which gives exercise programmes to people diagnosed with, with cancer to get them fit before treatment. And Kirsty, who's the person who runs that programme, ran it with me. And I say ran it with me, she's about 20 years, young, 30 years younger than me. And uh, and and, and I, I let her go at halfway on the first day and said to her on the second day, you do it on your own and I'll meet you at the finish and buy you a beer. And that's exactly what we did. Yeah. So, uh, you know, walking the walk. We spoke about that. Um, that marathon,
2: when you um, straight after your diagnosis, has been sort of your proudest marathon. I mean, how did you feel when you completed a an ultra like that?
1: I didn't think I could do it. I mean, I have to say, completely honestly, I never trained. I only trained up to half marathon distance. Uh, I only think I only did that once or twice. But it was sheer bloody mindedness. I mean, it just a just an incredible achievement. I you know, I, if I had to walk, I walked. I knew I could do it. I knew I could walk hard if I had to. And on the second day, I power walked at four miles an hour for about seven hours, <laughs> and um, and that got me to the twenty-eight miles I needed. But you know, walking at that rate is actually quite hard; it's very demanding. But I didn't have anything left for me to run, and my wife was out on the course, and she, you know, she found me a few times with our with our dog, and uh, and and walked with me, but she was struggling. So she was actually trotting while I was walking. So, yeah, it was it was it was an amazing achievement. I'm, I'm incredibly proud of it this year's achievement will be even bigger still but we'll talk about that in a sec yeah i definitely want to get to that in a bit but yeah. uh, the, the
2: the one question i sort of wanted to ask you now was as you've gone further from the uh from the diagnosis how have, have things become harder is it now harder for you to run than it was say i don't know six months a year afterwards uh, is it are you deteriorating and in, 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 and things becoming harder
1: I think the effect of the treatment is cumulative. Weight gain, because I'm on, I'm on steroids, which um, lead to weight gain. The treatment itself leads to weight gain. So you get this ring of visceral fat around your middle. And so I think it's got progressively harder. But it's one of those sort of self-fulfilling prophecies. If you don't do it, you get worse. So you've got to keep doing it. And that's what I try to do. I try to do as much as I can. So I run... You know, at the moment, we talk about that a bit, but, you know, I'd run typically four days a week and do a a fitness class for some core strength and upper body work. And I think it's absolutely vital for people living with advanced stage prostate cancer to actually keep as fit as possible. Everybody living with cancer. In fact, everybody, full stop. If exercise were a pill, we'd all be taking it. Yeah, just how helpful has running and exercise been to you? I'm, I, and
2: I'm thinking not just in terms of, of your own fitness, but but your mental health as well, because
1: you, you, that must be tough at times too. It, it's been massive. I think if I'd been told that I would be unable to run after my diagnosis, I might as well be dead. Because for me, the running was a massive, massive part of my life. My running club's a massive part of my life. I'm now a qualified coach. I coach, coached to 5K and so running was so important to me and i was really pleased to get the encouragement from oncologists to actually carry on running and uh, being told that you must do was actually a great catalyst but yeah it's got harder you know i I got to the point when i was over two stone heavier than my running weight when i was diagnosed um i've lost a little bit of that so i'm probably a stone and a half heavier and as we all know you know carrying a bit of excess weight as a runner makes running really really tough Mm -hmm. so yeah it gets a bit harder of course you could actually say, well, that's just because you're a bit older. I'm five and a half years older as well. So that that's a, a, another double whammy, isn't it, really? You
2: obviously really enjoy running, to be doing the distances you are, to keep going, for it to be keeping you going, I suppose. But what is it that's so special about running?
1: I think it's that endorphin rush when you've completed a run. Um, It might feel awful while you're doing it, but you feel fantastic when you finished it. And just to give you a flavour of uh, what it feels like at the moment... My big problem is I take my cancer treatment at sort of seven in the morning and at nine o'clock the fatigue is the worst imaginable and I'll quite often go and lie in the bed for 20 minutes, I don't want to go to sleep because it's fatigue, it's not tiredness and I force myself to put my running kit on and go out and do a run and when I get back I feel as if this veil of fatigue has been lifted from my body so feel physically refreshed, rejuvenated, but actually mentally refreshed. And I think, you know, without the running, the sort of dark place you go to with the cancer diagnosis would have been so much worse. If I couldn't run as well, I mean, you know, it, it would have been awful. So for, running for me has just been therapeutic. I think it's actually there are, there are, there's only one other man that I know who's got a stage four diagnosis who is a runner and he um, said recently there were 20 men diagnosed a year either side of him 18 of them are dead two of us are still alive and I was the other one so that basically just sort of sums it up really he thinks that running is keeping us both alive and I think it's contributed to it certainly
2: yeah in fact I was almost going to go down that road um, because I was thinking obviously you said at the start about Bill Turnbull and him being around, diagnosed around the same time as you and obviously, sadly, having, having, having passed away recently. And it sort of made me think that this, this thing running seems to have helped you in terms of longevity.
1: I think it absolutely has. I mean, it's not all of it. I mean, part of it is responding really well to the treatment. Um, when I was diagnosed, they measure how things are by the PSA level. PSA stands for prostate-specific antigen. Uh, the prostate kicks that out into your blood. And it kicks more of it out as you get older because your prostate gets bigger. And for some of my age, my PSA should have been no more than four when I was diagnosed, and it was 129. Um, and I started on this hormone therapy virtually immediately. I'm on two forms of hormone therapy, one by daily tablet and one by an injection into the stomach. And it brought my PSA down to unrecordable inside seven, eight months and it's stayed there now for four, over four years. When the treatment starts to fail, my PSA will start to rise. So I have 12 weekly blood tests. That I also call squeaky bum time, um, because one of, I'm nearer to the test where they tell me the treatment has failed than I was at, at the start. So, you know, it's always in the back of your mind that it's going to come back um, and yeah, you have to live with that. That's tough, running helps, I mean, it really does. You know when you get into that deep deep anxiety for the squeaky bum times coming along the fact that you can go out for a run and just lift that anxiety is just phenomenal
0: yeah and th- does the
2: campaigning help as well in terms of a sense of purpose
1: absolutely i think when when you're diagnosed with cancer you i mean the first thing you do is you lose a bit a little bit of self-esteem and you lose body image you know i have become, i've got a man with boobs you know uh, and i've got this ring of fat around my stomach you know and i look like mr blobby again and so you lose self-esteem, you lose body image and the campaigning for me is a way of doing good. And it helps me feel better about myself. And obviously the running helps me to try to maintain the weight and, you know, keep the boobs down to the bare minimum. But I, I think I don't quite need a train are yet, but it's getting there. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, absolutely. Campaigning is a big plus for me.
2: So we're here with 2022. What is this year's big challenge? Uh, I mean, you know,
1: At the start of the year, this is ridiculous. I was asked by the BBC, they they needed a Christmas filler last Christmas, and they asked me if I could do an interview about living with prostate cancer and being a runner. I thought, of course I can, of course I can. And uh, the interviewer said to me, "And what's your next challenge going to be? And I hadn't even thought about it. So I just said, I think I might try to run at least 5K every day in 2022. And, of course, they broadcast it. My wife has now banned me from doing interviews. (laughs) Don't say anything that you might later regret. And, of course... Anyway, here I am, we're with uh, 300 plus days into the challenge, and I've, I'm doing it for the MOVE charity, and the MOVE charity basically supports teenagers and young adults living with cancer to get them moving again, because movement is so important. Uh, and they're also behind 5K Your Way, which is an, an initiative linked to parkrun at about 80 something parkruns around the UK. Well, we come together on the last Saturday of the month to basically do 5k our way, which for most of these cancer patients means walking. And so, yeah, I set out to do that. I've run so far this year, just actually totted it up at uh, 1,156 miles <laughs> um, so far this year. So by the time I finish it, it'll probably be pushing 1,400, maybe 1,500 miles. So uh, I didn't think I could do that. I still don't think I can do that. I am absolutely shattered i used to be six foot six i'm lost about a foot <laughs> so yeah it's been it's been a real challenge but again it's i'm I'm just shy of ten thousand pound on my fundraising which is incredible
2: well i was going to say um uh we'll, we'll make sure we get the uh, the link uh, off of you and put that in the show notes and see if we can't get a, a few other people sticking some some pennies in i'm um, very kind the BBC have kind of uh, ruined my my finishing question there because I
0: was gonna ask you as what's
1: well. What next challenge? What's what's next? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, people keep saying to me what next, and I, I really think next year is probably gonna be one of those where I just get back to club running up. What I would actually like to do, and it, I have sort of running things I want to try to get back to achieving. So I think I've probably done my bit as far as you know, ridiculous challenges are and I'm 66 in February. Um, It's not getting any easier to do this sort of stuff. I don't think I'll be doing any endurance stuff in the future. But I would like to sort of focus on getting a bit quicker at part run and a bit bit quicker at doing some 5K races. You know, I was a sub-20 minute 5K runner at my prime. And um, before my diagnosis, I was easily running 21s and 22s. And I think I should still be running 24s if I weren't ill. But actually, I'm getting. I can't get under 27 at the moment, so I'd like to get under 27 again. Yeah. Um, so that's a big challenge, and I think I'll just focus on that really and see if I can improve those times at that short distance.
2: And and just finally, just to finish off, what would kind of be your your message to uh, anyone who gets the same shocking news that that you got five years ago? Would it, I, I'm guessing it would be go out and and running can help you, I suppose.
1: Well, I think fitness, exercise, movement, I don't even call it running, really. You know, movement is so important. So keep moving. That might be walking it. You know, it might just be anything that gets your heart rate elevated. Big fan of even for people who are really struggling with mobility, to do chair-based exercise. Sit to stand, for example, is a great exercise. It uses lots of different muscle classes. So try and stay as fit as possible by movement. That's really important. But... What i would say is and i'd say this to everybody not just people living with a with a dread illness it's really important that you live every day to the full and get the most out of every minute of every day um i spent the first 18 months thinking about dying and then i realized that you shouldn't forget about the joy of living through the fear of dying and so that would be my big message don't forget about the joy of living um through the fear of dying i think it's such a strong uh, powerful message um, and I try to get a bit out of every day I've got four grandchildren now I only had one when I was diagnosed uh, I love spending time with them and just I love the joy of life and I think just live life to the full and love every minute of it
2: oh well, I think that's a that's a, just a tremendous message for for everyone whatever situation they they might be in. Tony so um, a really good place for us to to leave it today thank you so much for your time and for coming on Running Tales
1: it's a great pleasure thank you.
0: Thank you for joining us today on the Running Tales podcast. If you like what we do, please follow us on Facebook. Our page is called Running Tales or on Twitter at Running Tales Pod. We'd also really appreciate it if you could leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcast, Apple and Spotify, anywhere else. Those reviews make more people find the podcast and listen to the wonderful stories of the people we have on there. That's all for this week and we look forward to seeing you on next week's Running Tales
2: podcast.